Welcome to Songs and Tales, a podcast where we delve too greedily and too deep into the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm Aaron. And I'm Clara. And we are the low and melodious voices that will guide you on this journey. That's right. It's Prairie Home Companion Day here at (laughs) Songs and Tales. Yeah, Saruman had a face for radio, folks. Mm Mm-hmm. Clara's getting texts from Saruman as we nope, as we speak. I am currently texting my husband because he is listening to music and I can hear it through my headphones. <laughs> well, I can't hear it on my end. So. And I do need him to turn it down. <laughs> wow. Just a just a wee bit. So you do like the old me. broomstick on the hey. floor, I guess. Yeah, knock it off. <laughs> Keep it down out there. Yeah. But yeah, we are at the end of book three, whoop, whoop, whoop. which is book one of the second book in the trilogy. Yep. yep. That's uh, how it works. We did it, gang. We made it. One step closer. To Mordor. That's right. Literally. Well, yeah. We made it one step closer to the people who are taking the steps to Mordor. Yeah, fair. Okay. Yeah. Hey, look, it's a Tuesday evening. It's been a long day. It is. It's Tuesday. We're recording during the work work week, which is always like feels like a roll of the dice for us. It really uh, does. I ate some Skittles before this, so I'm hoping that that sugar just keeps me cruising for the next hour and fifteen. And if she but suddenly goes quiet, crash. it means she crashed. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> if you hear a thud, it's just my head hitting my desk. Or me tossing a palantir out my window. Yeah, like a bowling ball or something. Yep. Yeah. As I am wont to do when the neighbors annoy me. Sure. Uh, I also throw priceless and rare artifacts from Numenor out my window. That's right. You know, Uh, we all cope somehow with noisy neighbors. But we're getting ahead of ourselves because we have no, to talk about another was, another noisy person before. But thank you. Do, do you want me to cut it? Is that what you're saying in post? No, no, okay. no, no. You just seem t- tickled by it, and I appreciate that. Hey, anytime. That's what podcast co-hosts are for. It's true. Do you think that other podcast co-hosts like? Maybe if one doesn't think the other is quite as funny, but just like mm. laughs, you know, uh, is obligated mm. to laugh at all their little quips. Yeah, I think they are. That's not quite the right answer to that question. <laughs> I mean, no, I don't. Me? I... <laughs> yeah. All right, folks, I do not have the voice of Saruman. My own podcast co-host is not listening to me. I'm sorry, I get distracted by all the tabs in my book. My voice is not low and melodious, but that is not my fault that I was born in this form of a woman with a, I don't know, kind of slightly alto, slightly soprano voice. I can't help it. Sure. I uh, wasn't suggesting you could. 
while you Nor are being critical of you. as you are ignoring me and shuffling through your tabbies and your <laughs> rifling through my papers. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you haven't guessed, today we are talking about the voice of Saruman. Mm-hmm. Once again, thank you, J.R.R., for giving us an extremely explanatory chapter title. I'll tell you, you know, sure, stuff happens in this chapter, but if you did want to skip it, the chapter title pretty much gives you all the information you're going to need as to what, oh, what's going yeah. on here. Although we get a nice showdown between Gandalf and Saruman. Yeah, we do see some wizards doing their wizarding yeah, they like talk at each other. Yeah, it's wow. Like model Incredible. UN, but for wizards. That's correct. So yeah, I mean that's basically what happens. I can't, I can't give you a whole lot more plot <clears throat> than Saruman talks to Theoden. Yeah. Then Saruman and Gandalf verbally spar with each other, and then Wormtongue. Whoa, my voice did just get low and melodious. Yeah, what's going on? Is it the Skittles? What? <laughs> it's the skittles it's all this sugar gumming me up uh no i'm getting over a cold and i'm past i thought i was past the point of my voice sounding absolutely insane but so i guess i'm not so you're smoking now yeah i am smoking okay. as well mm-hmm. yeah it mm-hmm. really helps with my lungs the warmth feels good sorry everyone i just had to mute to clear my throat so that i stop sounding like i have emphysema or a similar condition Mm -hmm. uh but anyway we hear uh saruman talks to theoden in his low and melodious voice tries to kind of fool theoden then he verbally spars with gandalf and then his good friend wormtongue uh hucks a volunteer out of a window (laughs) and then um pippin is tempted by that volunteer right has to go ponder the orb i mean why wouldn't you be so yeah, what do we have to talk about today, Aaron? Oh, what don't we have to talk about? I mean, some stuff. True. I guess we could just talk about Saruman's voice and the different ways it's described in this chapter, because we get a lot of information sure. about how he talks, the way he talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, quite the rhetorician, mm-hmm. this Saruman feller. Uh, so... What I thought was interesting, though, is in and maybe this maybe this is the place to start. Maybe it isn't, but we're Let's, starting there anyway. Fine. Uh, I looked in the letters for some little little juicy tidbits about Saruman. Little and, morsel. Uh, a little morsel from the from the table of J.R.R. himself. Um, he wrote about. I don't remember who this was writing to. It might have been Christopher. I can't remember. But in any event, he writes about Saruman's voice, and he says. Neither genuine hypnosis nor scientificitious variants occur in my tale. Saruman's voice is not hypnotic, but persuasive. Those who listened to him were not in danger of falling into a trance, but of agreeing with his arguments while fully awake. It was always open to one to reject, by free will and reason, both his voice while speaking and its after impressions. Saruman corrupted the reasoning powers. So he's not a mesmerist. Yep. He's not a hypnotist, um, yep. which is interesting because like it could be easy to mistake him for that if you read this chapter, frankly. Yes. Uh, yeah. Because Gandalf 100%. is like, don't be wooed by this man. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the writers of Rohan hear him yeah. and are like, 
entranced by his voice. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of Theoden as well. Yeah, for sort a moment. Of, right. Yeah, he, yeah, uh, the writers stirred at first, murmuring with approval of the words of Saruman, and then they too were silent as men spellbound. Um, and then before Theoden speaks, he, um, where is this? He says, We will have peace, said Theoden at last, thickly and with an effort. Several of the riders cried out gladly. Theoden held up his hand. Yes, he said, we will have peace. Um, now in a clear voice, we will have peace, blah, blah, blah. So, like, he has to, you know... Right. Seems like he sort of has to break through this this spell. Um, just the way he's characterized you know, his voice being thick with effort. And then mm-hmm. clearing as he continues to, right. to speak against saruman right but it's about free will once again our good friend mm-hmm. free will thanks for returning free willies. <laughs> yep it's just like free willy you want to elaborate on that no <laughs> other than no mm-hmm I was going to say, it wasn't Elijah Wood also in Free Willy, but he wasn't. He was in the one with the dolphin. Yeah. I want to say Herbie fully loaded, but I think that's not right. That's the one with the Volkswagen Beetle. Oh, no. Oh, God. We have notes, everyone, and we're still going way off the rails. Oh, boy. Uh, We are. We are. Um... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we get a lot of description of how his voice sounds, the effect it has on people. Um, And, I mean, there's some interesting bits here. Like, Gimli is the one who calls it out for what it is, which I was surprised Mm -hmm. by. I didn't know if you were surprised by that, too. I was as well, yes. Um, But Gimli's the one who's like, everything that comes out of his mouth is backwards. Everything he Mm -hmm. says is twisted around. So he's the only one Mm -hmm. who really verbalizes it in this interaction. Like, Theoden rejects Mm -hmm. it. Um, and Gandalf, of course, rejects it in other ways later on, but like it's Gimli who actually calls it out and describes it as being this massive manipulator. Um, Mm -hmm. and it seems like Gimli's not wooed at all Mm -hmm. at any point, um, which is interesting. It's really not. Um, and like Aragorn is totally absent from this sequence, which is also interesting to me. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. he's not really given much. Like, we don't get impressions of how everyone responds to this. It's just a select few. It's Theoden, Gandalf, um, and Gimli, and I guess the Hobbits. Mm-hmm. And that's really yeah, it. Yeah, because they're, they discuss later how the Hobbits' feelings are hurt by what... Oh, that's right, yeah. Saruman says. <laughs> but yeah, this... this uh, I... You know, I have some thoughts about mm-hmm. why Aragorn, I think he's sort of flying under the radar here. Oh, he they, doesn't want I to think, announce himself as who he is? is yeah, because I think that, okay. like, they know that Saruman has a connection. They don't, obviously don't know it's a plenty of connection. No. They know he has a love connection with Sauron. And so I don't think Aragorn is trying to like draw a lot of yeah. attention to himself. Right. Cause they don't want Sauron to know yet that Aragorn is like the king back in the picture. 
Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Cause they talk about that later on too with Gandalf yeah, with is the, like, yeah, time is of yeah. the essence. Like, right. Yeah. It's like, and he says something about like, it's not time to reveal himself yet mm-hmm. in the plenty. So I think that's why Aragorn kind of lies low here. Okay. My theory, and it's like a sad, maybe not great theory, but it's a theory for why Gimli can kind of see through Saruman's mm-hmm. trickiness mm-hmm. is the, first of all, we just know generally dwarves are very hardy. They have like a really strong constitution. If you've ever played D and D, you know, 16, you know this. maybe an 18. It's <laughs> high. A really high constitution, but also um, the dwarves, if we think back to the Silmarillion, were created by Aule, and Saruman was a Maiar who was right. taught by Aule, Aule, however he decided to say that name. It's been ages. And so I'm wondering if that's maybe something like mm-hmm. Gimli perhaps has. I, the word connection doesn't feel right, but I suppose it's the best one to use here. Um has a connection to Saruman somehow and so can see through his bullshit mm-hmm. better than others can, yeah. you know, him and Gandalf, right? Because obviously Gandalf and Saruman are both Maiar, so they're kind of on the right. same level, but Gimli has some sort of like almost not quite ancestral, but like, I don't know, creator connection to Saruman. I also just wonder if it's the age of the door, like the dwarves are older. Like, it seems like the men are the most easily swayed Mm -hmm. because like clearly Saruman can't sway the ends. Right. Or the elves or the elves or Gandalf. Um, So I wonder if that's part of it as well. Although I do like that theory of Owlay giving them some sort of, well, we, they've, they, I mean, this has been kind of talked about before. It's like how easily corrupted men are. Were uh, we? So, yeah. Hu- human, rather. I mean, right? Human nature is just the battle between, you know. It's free will. We have choice. Right. Good Which and, actually good raises and evil. interesting questions about if other races in this book have free will. Mm-hmm. I think the elves do, if we base off the yeah. Silmarillion. And I guess the dwarves, because we have yeah. some skeevy little dwarves at various points. Yeah, I mean, I think they all do. I just think, and I think we've talked about this before, how men, for some reason, have like a greater capacity mm-hmm. for both good and evil, mm-hmm. um, depending on how they choose to, you know, enact their free will. Right. Um, and I suppose that's why Saruman works on them first and most mm-hmm. effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the greater, I suppose the greater capacity you have to for free will, the, I guess the, in my mind, it makes sense that the more effective an argument mm-hmm. to kind of overtake that would would work i don't i don't know it does that maybe seems really backwards but hmm. i mean he's he's logical you know it's not like mm-hmm. 
at least at first, Saruman's very logical. That sounds very reasonable. Yeah. All of it. He's not saying anything that seems, you know. I mean, it seems crazy given everything that's happened up to this point. He's like, we can be friends. (laughs) It's like, bro, you just tried to slaughter everyone. (laughs) But isn't that kind of in the power, right, of Saruman? And that it works. I mean, I think... Yeah. Tolkien has to show us how powerful Saruman is still Mm -hmm. because then right at the end when Gandalf defeats him, you're like, Oh shit. Gandalf is very powerful because we haven't seen a ton of instances. I mean, we know he came back from his fight with um, the Balrog, but like other than that, we haven't seen a ton of instances of Gandalf's just like raw wizard power. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to see Saruman not as like this, like weak defeated wizard but as still this very you know effective right um yeah rhetorician and (laughs) magician nice thank you yeah so he's not a mesmer but like i guess it's easy to see how he would be confused for one because his magic kind of lies in the power of his voice yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting too because it also sets up the next chapter with the Palantir. Mm-hmm. Like, if this person who has this much persuasive force could also be turned by this object, mm-hmm. then how powerful is the object and the force behind it, right? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, like how how significant is it that Pippin is lar- largely is able to resist it in ways that others could not, as we're mm-hmm. told. So, yeah, I agree. There's something going on here with both showing how powerful Saruman is, but also building up to these other revelations as they come. Mm-hmm. Because we, we learn, right, as we learn more about the Palantir, how Saruman's corruption actually took shape. Yeah. But I, do, I also think, I mean, again, like I was going to ask, you uh-huh. know, toward the end of recording, how we're, how we feel about, about book one of the two towers, book three of the series. Um, and what kind of themes we're now starting to really see reoccur. And I think one of them is this, this reoccurring idea that like the, the more powerful you are, the harder you fall. Right. Mm-hmm. Like Saruman is very powerful. He's, he has this like high capacity to be corrupted and for it to have a really bad outcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's also kind of, I mean, there's a concern that like kind of Gandalf could end up in the same boat or Aragorn or kind of anyone in a position of power. We see it happen with Denethor as well, right? Could be mm-hmm. corrupted by mm-hmm. Sauron, right? Not just the ring, but by the power that Sauron offers. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually the people, right? We see, saw this in the Silmarillion. We see it again. Right in the the trilogy that like the little people are the most effective and really end up being the most powerful because they like, they just, they don't have that same capacity for corruption that anyone in a position of power might have. Right. And they don't want, they don't want the power anyway. Mm -hmm. Cause this actually leads into a question I had about, how both Saruman and Pippin are called fools at various points by Mm -hmm. Gandalf. Uh, They're both in their own way, hungry for knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I was, yeah, I was thinking about that question too. Of like, well, how is fool being used in both of these instances? And what does it mean that, you know, both these characters are being in some ways paralleled, um, but with mm-hmm. different end results, obviously like Saruman has this massive fall. And then of course, with Gandalf's sort of assessment of Pippin, we realize that he has this internal strength. That's kind of, um, you wouldn't notice right away, right? Mm-hmm. Like he has this ability to resist this force that Gandalf says few other few people could. Um, and I think part of it has to do with what you're saying, which is the people who have the power or desire the power or desire mm-hmm. to harness the power are the ones who are destined for the biggest of falls because there's something in that desire that inherently leads you to trouble. Yeah. Like I'm thinking I just jotted this down before I for- I could forget it. But like looking back at the last three books, really the first two of the of the series, uh, the fellowship, like Frodo taking the ring to Mordor, the concern is not necessarily that Frodo himself will be corrupted, though I, of course it's kind of like an underlying concern, mm-hmm. but really the concern more is just that like someone would take the ring from Frodo or Sar- Sauron would like catch on and get the his hands on the right. ring, right? There's not like a huge amount of discussion about like, oh, well, Frodo could be corrupted by the ring. Um, whereas like with Aragorn and Gandalf yeah. and Galadriel and mm-hmm. Boromir and we're going to see with Faramir, Denethor, like all these people who are more powerful the concern is that they will be corrupted by the ring, not that like they mm-hmm. have to make a journey with it or that it's going to be turned over to Sauron through mm-hmm. them. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think it is, there's something different about, yeah, you know, if we want to kind of parallel that to the Palantir, cause that was one of my points is like, mm-hmm. we're kind of skipping ahead, but I think it's that's okay. fine. It's all sort of yeah, these jumbled up together. Kind of mishmash. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the Palantir kind of works in a similar way as the mm-hmm. ring, yeah, right? Very it's, it's very tempting. And, you know, Pippin like touches it once and can't get out, can't get it out of his, mm-hmm. out of his mind. You know, he's like really, uh, it, it consumed by, you know, trying to get his little mitts back on that orb. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just thinking of like, Pip, the, Pip, the effect of the Palantir on Pippin is very similar to the effect of the ring on Frodo, right? They can interact with it, but the mm-hmm. effects aren't super lasting. Whereas, right, like, for others, it has bigger consequences. Like, Saruman obviously opened his little door to Sauron and, like, Galadriel was like, oh, well, I saw the ring and now I have to diminish Mm-hmm. yeah and i i think in a weird way Gollum is actually further proof of what you're saying because Gollum mm-hmm. has the ring for what like hundreds of years yeah um but he's never really a threat to middle earth like it consumes him in a way but he's never a threat to mm-hmm. become the dark lord um right because like there's a sense that he doesn't have he's not going to create an army and take over middle earth or, you know, have the power to, to do these things. Right. Um, so, right. I think there is something about, yeah, this inherent, and I don't know if it's linked 
to how these characters desires function differently. Um, mm-hmm. Cause all the people you listed, right. Are people in positions of authority. Mm-hmm. Um, and there seems to be something going on there with status and desire. Well, yeah. Like the people, people with higher status desire more things. Right. I mean, I think, yeah, but they can also get people to follow them too. Right. Isn't that the other thing? Mm-hmm. These people are sheep. Well, like Aragorn, right? Like if he's the if he's the king and he becomes corrupted, like does all right. of Gondor he... become corrupted with him? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But I agree. The Palantir and the Ring extremely similar. Yeah, in this really section. similar. Uh, like the fact that Pippin can't let go of it when it's like looking into his mm-hmm. brain, this also seems right. reminiscent of the ring, um, which is, it's interesting to me too, that Sauron is able to exert his will through an object. He did not create to that extent. That's something else that I had a question about that. I didn't put in the notes. Yeah. Um, but like, why is it that this thing that we know Feanor made, or we we're pretty sure Feanor made. Yeah. Okay. We're going to have to come back to that. <laughs> But keep going um, for now. So this thing's very old. It's from across the sea. It makes mm-hmm. its way to Numenor. When Numenor mm-hmm. sinks, Isildur takes seven of them. I guess there's more, but he takes seven of them with him mm-hmm. across to, to mm-hmm. Middle Earth. I think there's more in Valar or Valinor still. I, Unclear. I, I think maybe there is. In any event, he takes seven of them with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so these things are not made by Sauron. He has no connection to them. Correct. He finds them much, much later. Mm-hmm. It seems, uh, I'm not entirely clear on the timeline, but it's, you know, we're talking about, I'm guessing in the second age or the end of the first age. When is it that he finds them? Second. He finds one. He only has right. one. He finds the he one finds that was it in, in Mor- Minas, Minas Ithil. So it's, Ithil. Actually, so it's at the end of the second, second age. age. Okay. Yeah, if I have my time, it's like at the end of the second age, because that's when he clashes and like, well, he would have had to find it before. Or someone found it for him. Yeah, either way, so I believe Minas Ithil still existed when he lost the ring. Oh, it did. And okay. then he and then it was like corrupted. <clears throat> After the fact. After the fact. So okay. I think. Somewhere between the end of the second age and where we are now, he came into so, possession of one of the Palantir. So I, in terms of a comparably recent event, in terms of a long arc of Middle Earth history. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, my, right. So this is the first instance I think we've seen of an object that's not created by him that he's able to exert his will through mm-hmm. to this extent. Um, and I was wondering what you thought about that also because we're told that it's not the one that's like the controlling one. Cause there's one that's the central one that was in Osgiliath. Yeah. And that one's lost. I think it's in the river maybe mm-hmm. or something, but yeah, that one's lost. Yeah. So he doesn't even have like this one. That's the controlling one. So like, why is he able to exert his will? So forcefully through this thing. And I'm guess my, I mean, we can kick this around, but I mean, my thinking is it's because it's, 
the device itself relies on will for its mm -hmm. use, right? It's this idea you can project your thoughts mm -hmm. across not only distance, but it seems time as well. Yes. Yeah. Because um, Gandalf is like, I wish I could use this to look back and see like these long forgotten days of like mm -hmm. Feanor, which so yeah. there's, there's something about this device that removes it from the normal flow of time and history and so it's like this weird kind of mental amplifier thing that also exists mm -hmm. outside of outside of linear space and yeah. time um so i'm guessing it's just like sauron's found a way to kind of project himself through it um which is also interesting because it's like did he know someone would be out there on the other end of it or was he hoping to find someone on the other end of it or was he just like mucking, ar mucking around with the Palantir because he was bored and disembodied? Yeah, I don't know. I assume he was just like hoping someone would be on the other end. Only, And I only say that because that's exactly what Saruman was doing. You're right. As far as we know, he's the Saruman only one doing like that. Saruman was just like dialing. Well, he, actually, he was just like dialing numbers until someone <laughs> picked up a phone, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, basically, uh, it says... Um, Further and further abroad, he gazed until he cast his gaze upon Baradur. Then he was caught. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like he's ensnared, and that's it. Mm -hmm. That's. Um, I mean, we do know there is one other person who's mucking around with a palantir. But we haven't met them yet. Yeah, we'll meet him. Um, um, but yeah, but... I mean, all we kind of know, all we kind of know about Sauron's interaction with his palantir is says, um, but at least one. Uh, but one at least Sauron must have obtained and mastered to his purposes. So yeah. I guess that tells us that what he mastered it to this, like right ability to project his will and mm -hmm. uh, corrupt, right. The minds yeah. of peppers of anyone who chats with him. Yeah. <laughs> stone. I don't <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's what it seems like. Right. Yeah, and I, you know, I wonder too, we don't, they are very mysterious. We like don't learn a ton about them and mm -mm. all at once, right? I mean, we get kind of a history here and sort of a, uh, this is how they used to work and blah, blah, blah. But I think they're sort of like the mirror of Galadriel where like they can show things that aren't mm -hmm. quite yet. Um, and I think we learn that when when Denethor talks about his because Sar yeah. Sauron's like showing him images of of things that aren't happening and won't ever happen, but it drives spoiler alert drives Denethor a little cuckoo. <laughs> um, yeah. So Sauron has really figured out this technology. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he knows how to use the newest iPhone. <laughs> But I don't know how, other than he is, he has a he has a very strong will yeah. that he knows yeah. how to assert because that's what he does with the ring. Right. So it's right. like a similar, like we said, it's sort of a similar amplifier or something. Yeah, a mechanism. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, I'm familiar with this. You talked about how Saruman and Pippin are both called a fool at one point. Mm -hmm. Multiple points. Saruman's actually called a fool several times. Mm -hmm. 
But the first, so I looked up fool. You know, as we tend to do, we like to <laughs> look Webster's up the origins Dictionary of words. defines fool as. We like to look up fool sure and other things because we know that Tolkien loved the origins of words. What do you got? And for I us? think this is, I think this is astute. <laughs> uh, the word fool uh-huh. is Middle English, comes uh-huh. from the Old English fall, which means mm-hmm. fool or foolish. Sure. But its root word is Latin, fallus, mm-hmm. meaning ah. bellows or windbag. Nice. By extension, an empty headed person. Sure. But this makes perfect sense for Saruman, right? Because. Hot air. You know, Gandalf tells exactly. Gandalf says, "You have become a fool, Saruman, and yet pitiable." Um, so he, yeah, he's just full of hot air. He's a windbag. He's a windbag. But he's pitiable. This is so. This is we've talked about this before. Gandalf's like capacity for pity, and it's like here I'm almost like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Does he really well, deserve it? This is Gandalf as Christ, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he returns from the dead. Yep. He gives Saruman a chance to redeem himself here, which yep. everyone, I, I'm reading this, I'm like, this is not going to happen. Yeah, he's, yeah. <laughs> like, he's not going to, he's not going to become good is, again. Everyone else is like me. Like, why are we giving this guy a second chance? Yeah. Uh, but he does anyway. Um, and he talks about it later with Pippin, too. He he seems regretful that Saruman doesn't take it. He's like, he could have been a help to mm-hmm. us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there is something interesting. And I don't know if that is linked also to his desire to look to the past, too. Mm. I think there's a way in which Gandalf wants to heal the world to a way it used to be, which we recognize is not possible. And I think he mm-hmm. knows it's not possible but he's still tempted by that um, because he describes this temptation to look into Palantir as this desire to look backwards. Um, mm-hmm. And he's already talked with Theoden, right? About things will change forever. You know, things that we cherish will be lost, all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's this way he thinks that if he can return Saruman to the fold and Saruman's mm-hmm. been so far, Saruman's been the most disruptive force in terms mm-hmm. of changing things for the worse um, or just changing things in general. I, I think there's this way he kind of on some level thinks that might restore something that's lost because um, then he banishes him. Mm-hmm. Like it's immediately after that, that he shatters the staff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like his one chance to kind of return to the, the way things were. And then, um, rather, rather symbolically for him to have a field day with this shattered staff and the head <laughs> that falls at the feet of Gandalf or whatever. It is. Um, but yeah, I can't help but think that there's like, for all of Gandalf's wisdom and self-awareness, there is this kind of nostalgic bent to him that I think is maybe part of this too. Mm. Or regretful or mournful. I don't know how we want to think about it, but I think there's a part of him that's kind of naively hopes. Yeah. It's yeah. I guess it's, it's that's where Gandalf's wisdom fails him. I think 
Um, maybe. Maybe. Because I think he remains self-aware throughout. Like, I think there's a part of him that knows Saruman's not going to... Like, he does this more well, for himself, sh- I think. If that makes well, sense. Well, sure, but if you... But if... But I don't think naivete and wisdom can go together. So if you said that he naively wants to return things to the way they are, I would say that that's like where Gandalf, where like one place where maybe he is not as wise as he should be. Mm -hmm. But I do think, you know, it's, uh, but I, it's hard because I don't want to give too much away about what's, coming and kind of how this all plays out and so mm-hmm. it's hard to condemn yeah Gandalf's actions now knowing what's mm-hmm. going to happen mm-hmm. I think anyone who is reading this for the first time and does not know the end of the return of the king could easily condemn Gandalf for this turn of pity because it's kind of the same thing that happens with um Gollum right like he doesn't kill him Mm -hmm. and he tells Frodo to pity him Mm -hmm. and it's because he might serve some function in the end true so does Gandalf want I guess now I'm now I'm like talking myself into a thought here (laughs) it's all you ever do on a podcast spoiler alert um we all just vamp until we have something realize we have something good to say um is see I, so you said you know Gandalf wants to return things the way they were in the past but i'm i'm actually wondering if gandalf knows a little bit of what is to come and that is why he is so willing to let this play out well we've seen that before too yeah so like he knows that Saruman is going to serve some purpose. And then also it just comes from his time hanging out with his gal Nyanna in Falinor and like learning about pity and mercy (laughs) and patience and, you know, all those things. That's his power. (laughs) And shattering staffs. And shattering staffs. Um, this is also one of the biggest departures in the movies from the book. Yeah, hugely different. Um, Ganda or Saruman doesn't fall out a window and get yeeted. <laughs> absolutely yeeted on a spike. No. Yeah, it would, well, that's because they would take it. Return of the King was long enough already without showing us the actual trajectory of Saruman. Yeah, and people hate people hate that part of Return of the King. I think people feel fools. really strongly about it. I think they're I, idiots, but I think they're fools. But we'll get to that. I yeah. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. It's hard not to when you're looking into this magical glass sphere or- known as the Palantir. Um, yeah, speaking of the Palantir, Faber sure. invented them. Apparently. Well, we think we're pretty sure. This is another thing. I'm like, Tolkien, where was this in the Silver? Consult your own text, homie. It's not in the Silmarillion at all. And I can forgive that. Okay, Faber invented <laughs> them. Fine. 
where the frack were they during the Silmarillion? Did Feanor leave them in Valinor? Why would he have? I have a theory about this. Okay, go ahead. It's I not was a good like, theory, but it explains also hey, how Saruman found one just hanging out in North Inc., which is that uh, they are inherently put in closets and just left there. Forgotten. That's where they were during like, Silmarillion. They were just in Feanor's closet. Hanging out. In Valinor? Yeah. But then how did the men of Numenor get them? Because they never they went to Valinor. They had an estate sale when Feanor died. Mm. And the Numenorians bought them at the estate sale. Mm. Took them across the mm-hmm. sea. No, Interesting. I don't know. It is, yeah, I don't know. I don't think we're supposed to know. It's like, again, Tolkien's doing his medievalist thing, right? Which is that like texts can talk to each other, but they don't have to explain everything to each other. Right. Like, the and they don't have to really. The, yeah. The gaps are part of the and charm they don't... here. Right. Yeah. They don't have to be saying the same thing. Right. And this, well, the other thing too is like, we talked about this with Silmarillion. It's like, who is the author of this thing? And if it's some elf like writing years after the fact, sure, he probably missed some stuff. Right. He probably didn't even know right. that these they things were a existed secret. because they were kept very secret. Yeah. The men of Gondor didn't tell anyone about them. It's like yes, Area 51. They, yeah. They're very powerful. They are very powerful. And you have to be apparently very powerful to use one. Right? Seems so, right? Pippin, like Pippin doesn't even really use the no, Palantir, right? Up. Like it uses him. Um, he wants to look in it, but like he can't do anything. He can't do anything. He can't no. see anything. No. And even if he knew how to use it, he probably still wouldn't be able yeah. to use it. It's almost because he doesn't know how to use it that he's able to come away less corrupted. Yeah. Well, yeah, and just that like Sauron doesn't know what's going on like Saruman wasn't really communicating with Sauron at the end and so I do think it's I think it's really interesting actually to get a peek into like their relationship via Pippin looking into the Palantir Palantir. and and Gandalf being like they haven't been talking so now Sauron thinks that you're torturing or you're being tortured by Saruman looking in the Palantir and and that you know, Sauron's hiding or refusing to respond to him or something. It's like they're like yeah. blocked his social media. Yeah, he said, so you have come back. Why have you neglected to report for so long? I did not answer. He said, who are you? I still did not answer, but it hurt me horribly and he pressed me. So I said, a hobbit. Then suddenly he seemed to see me and he laughed at me. I, uh, it was cruel. It was like being stabbed with knives. I struggled, but he said, what am Wait a moment. We shall meet again soon. Tell Saruman that this dainty is not for him. I will send for it at once. Do you understand? Say just that. Then he gloated over me. I felt I was falling to pieces. No, no, I can't say anymore. I don't remember anything else. Um, so I like I love this little this little peek into first of all, Saruman or Sauron, who we really have not heard. Uh, like mm-hmm. I think this is one of the only times the actual character of Sauron speaks speaks in the whole trilogy. Um, and the fact that yeah, he's just like Saruman. Why haven't you reported You're to me? On me, bro? Right. So you know we've been kind of t- 
told that Saruman is a pawn but doesn't realize he's a pawn. And then the fact that Sauron wants him to report. Yeah. <laughs> this, uh, I was struck by then he gloated over me. It's like, oh, so yeah. icky. Yeah. It reminds me of... So remember, Sauron uh-huh. is in the Silmarillion. Yeah, he was a handsome boy back then. And... He is kind of like creepy to Luthien and Baron and Luthien. And I'm like, oh, is Sauron just like a sex predator? Like He's a sex pest, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, sorry, that's like a real just kind of tangent, but. Uh, no, he's he's gross. Yeah, he seems like really, I don't know, icky. Why well, is he gloating over Pippin? Like, and also, is the dainty Pippin or the ring? <laughs> I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I think. I think it's the ring. It's the ring. I think it is too. But I also I think it's ambiguous enough. <laughs> um, and like to me, that's like. Uh, and, Think, makes you think of like consumption being consumed devoured mm-hmm. right it's like voracious appetite which we've seen somewhere else appetites appetites out of control um golly That's isn't right. um, a girl <laughs> thank you uh but yeah you were saying about sauron i'm sorry no, 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 no. I'm just trying to find more about Luthien saving oh. Baron from Sauron's dungeons. And, like, I remember Morgoth being a real creep. Yeah, he's real like, horned up. He's really... Mm-hmm. He's got down bad for Luthien. But I also remember um, Sauron being pretty... Um, kind of, like creepy about it as well yeah i mean we talked about this i think way back to like they're both ruled by desire in all of its forms desire yeah power of like physical desire mm-hmm. appetite however you want to think about it and we have a glimpse of that again here i think uh which is interesting considering he's disembodied at this point mm-hmm yeah, and interesting that, like, I mean, we talked, sorry, we're, like, jumping around a lot this episode, okay. but what else? Cares. Um, like, you know, you were talking about how Sauron can exert his will through the plenty, mm-hmm. right? And here, right, he can also create physical pain. Yeah, right. Which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. If anyone knows how that works. Give us a shot, because I don't. Any neuroscientists out there? Give us a shot. Um, yeah, is it physical pain or mental pain that manifests physically? I don't know. Yeah. Cause, I don't yeah. know. I guess, you know, yeah. we just have Pippin seeing it hurt him terribly, right. and then it was like being stabbed with knives. But right, is this mental damage? <laughs> Well, right. Is he like feeling Psychic this? Damage. His, yeah. Like, is he actually, is it just sort of like him feeling it? Right. Not feeling it. But like feeling the sensation it. of, yeah. 
I don't know. All we know is Sauron's bad, and he's using mm. these things to be bad. And someone needs to put him in timeout. Mm. Someone also needs to put all these palantirs somewhere where they won't fuck with people's brains. I mean, honestly, men of Numenor, you should have figured this out. Is the palantir just social media for Middle Earth? No, it's Alex Karp's company. <laughs> the lack of self-awareness <laughs> there is just astounding to me. Oh, I think they're aware. Maybe. This is even worse. I think I think they're it's very even, aware. It's even fucking worse. <laughs> uh, everybody's bad. But yeah, the pal I mean the Palantir is kind of social media in, in Middle Earth. Yeah, it's but, like Middle Earth's Twitter. Or I'm sorry, X. Um <laughs> Twitter formally or X formally Twitter. Yeah. As every news article says. That's right. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I love the whole history bit about the Palantir. I think it's cool and weird. It is very weird. Uh, I like the idea. Like of, you said. Oh, I was going to say, on. I like the no. idea of like, you know, the ancient Numenorians having this like elaborate communication system that's super secret to keep control yeah. of the kingdom. Like there's some interesting shit going on there. Um, I don't know. It works for me. I like this section. Even though, as you said, there's not a lot going on. I think there's some cool information we get. Like, it's lore that seems interesting and useful mm-hmm. for us. Yeah, and Sauron um, gets, Saruman gets his, you know, gets gotted. Just desserts, yeah. I mean, I do, I do love that Wormtongue, just the first thing he thinks is, I'm going to throw his my master's bowling ball out the window. So clearly he has no idea that- what it is. Or do you think he like kind of knows what it is, and he's like a little jealous of Saruman's oh, relationship maybe. with Sauron, and he's like, yeah. "I'm gonna throw my boyfriend's phone out the window." <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but if it was a phone, it would have <gasps> it would have shattered. It's true. Second. It does not shatter. No, indestructible, because you know, yeah, the Ents can't really damage the tower, which we're told at the very beginning of this chapter when they're like, there's a few little scuff marks on it. And mm-hmm. this fucking ball comes flying down and bounces off the stairs and it's untouched. Mm-hmm. So Feanor, uh, unlike Foxconn, makes a very sturdy phone. Yes. I mean, um, Feanor kind of makes a sturdy everything. Those silver rolls went through it. It's true. You know, say what you will about Feanor. Man he knew, knew his how to, craft. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, Man knew how to make an orb. Like, are these? These seem to be indestructible. Like for real, in a way that yes, even the I ring, believe. even the ring, is not. Yeah. Which is interesting. Well. Yeah, because they were like made. I mean, if they were made by Fanor before he became kind of a dick, I mean, they were made as like good things, right? Sure. And I wonder, too, you know, if that's why Saruman, at least, can use them fairly effectively. Because, A, I mean, he's got that, like, powerful will, but, like, does Mm -hmm. he know how the technology works? Because Feanor kind of learned some tricks and tips from Aule as well. And so Mm -hmm. (laughs) Saruman's like, oh, I recognize this workmanship. (laughs) I know this operating system. Yeah, that's old. It's old technology, but it's a BlackBerry, but he knows how to use solid. it. Solid. 
You just pop the battery out, pop it back in. That's right. <laughs> so, Aaron, what did you think of book three? I love it. Might be my favorite you of loved the entire. It. Yeah. Your favorite of the entire series. Yeah. Maybe. Wow. We'll see what I think of it when I get to the Return of the King. But if memory serves, this is my favorite. High praise. I mean, there's parts in the next section uh, I do like a lot, but as a whole, it's fun. What do you like? What did you like about it? What did you learn? What did you forget that you remembered? uh, I definitely forgot most of the information about the Palantir and really this whole section. (laughs) Uh, It's like the movie version supplanted it in my brain, I think. Yeah. So I forgot about this whole like battle of wills and, uh, you know, that Pippin's given a little more credit than he is in the movie mm-hmm. after the fact. Um, I, I mean, I like the ends a lot, obviously. They're fun and cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's some interesting things throughout here in terms of history and how these books are dealing with that question of what its role is in the lives of contemporary people and like the we talked mm-hmm. about this with like myths and legends coming to life and i think we see it a little bit here with gandalf wanting to look backwards um so i'm interested in that too and yeah the notion of change cyclical change these these themes for me work better here than they do in fellowship on the whole mm-hmm. um i think the strength of fellowship is more in like the moria section and Lothlorien. i think that's where mm-hmm. the book really takes off um, whereas I think this is pretty consistent throughout. I think. I mean, I don't know. I like there's a great, that great moment with Aragorn and Boromir at the beginning that I really mm-hmm. like. Yes, such a good moment. Mm-hmm. What about you? What did you think of book three of this second book oh, of this three book it's series? Just great. <laughs> Can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not. I'm not. I'm okay. not. I like this book a lot. I don't like it quite as much as book. What was the book? What would that be? Five. So the first of return portion of return. Uh, Maybe I'll change my tune when I get there. And I do. You know, we've got a very near and dear character coming up yeah, for me in book four. Shelob, but uh, <laughs> she's got a great ass. She's got a great ass. Uh but, uh, you know, overall, this is my favorite book. So mm. you need the two books together. Yeah. 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 Mm. The two books together. So, you know, obviously I like this first half. I don't know. You kind of did that thing where you're like, what did you like? And that person rattles off everything. So I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> Sorry, bro. Say. <laughs> um, um, other you- than I agree with pretty much everything you you said which makes me sound lame but makes uh, me sound like saruman yeah that's what happened aaron 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 gorn just convinced me um not through mesmerization but just for you know by being a good rhetorician that i agree with everything he said about this first half of the book i mean you could also say you enjoyed how horny eowyn and aragorn are I didn't say that. 
That's why I like the fifth <laughs> book. <laughs> ah, that's fair. Uh, there you go. No, I mean, it's just, yeah, like you said, this, the, the themes here are developing much more fruitfully, I think, than they do in the Fellowship. I think we get glimpses of them in the Fellowship, but I think it's still almost too much world building there's just i think tolkien is still setting up a lot of what he wants to do in the fellowship and so Mm -hmm. there's just not as much space for him to play in the you know wide fields of thematic development that he's yeah he's working on more here yeah yeah i agree plus he has to spend a bunch of time with the hobbits yeah, I mean he doesn't, but he does. That's what I mean. He loves them. He does, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wanted to, so. And like that's his right. He wrote the he that's wrote true. the damn thing. He so he did. I guess he can do what he wants. <laughs> burr, 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 burr. And so can we. That's right. Which I think is why we're gonna wrap it up here. We are. Because I'm fading. Because it's Tuesday night. Me too. And I'm Me a too. sleepy boy. I'm lulled to sleep by the voice of Saruman. Me? No, I said I have. <laughs> oh, you're Saruman? I know. I was I was implying that I had the voice of Saruman. You might. Uh, <laughs> you might sometimes. Low and melodious. Mm-hmm. My voice just cracked when I said melodious. <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, well, that's called irony. <laughs> it is indeed. It is indeed. But thank you all for listening. As always, we'll be back As next always. time for the taming of Smeagol. Mm. Bless us and splash us, precious. That's we right. will be back so. after the Thanksgiving holiday. So wear your best dirty loincloth. And have your rawest fish ready. Because, because we're smeagling. Bye. Bye. According to this repeated nationwide survey, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Why not change to camels for the next 30 days and see what a difference it makes in your smoking enjoyment? See how camels agree with your throat. See how mild and good tasting a cigarette can be.